0: The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent, closed-cell, PE, EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadek.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K kcom Your boat deserves SeaDeck. Hey everybody, and thank you for tuning in to episode 139 of the Golden Mike Podcast. As always, I am the Noise of the North. I'm Dan the Mano, recording again from my boathouse studio in Windermere, Florida. We're all still in quarantine. I know some of you haven't left the house in weeks. I'm sure people are either going to be looking pretty pale by now, or at least looking for a pale ale after all this is over. Lucky for y'all, I'm here to bring you your bi-monthly dose of audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you by CDEC Marine Products. CDEC has announced plans to resume manufacturing their products as of May 4th, and all of their current orders will be shipped out in a timely fashion. Their web store is staffed and operational, so if you need to order anything or speak with their customer service team, you can do that at any time from the comfort and safety of your home. CDEC is creating American made products while supporting local mompa installers. Whether you need a new step pad, swim platform kit, or any other flooring solution, visit www.sedeck.com. You may be surprised just how quick and reasonable they really are. It's time to give your boat what it deserves, and you and your boat deserve Seadeck. All right, we got a great episode in store for you guys. My guest today is a renaissance man of sorts, and I'm not just saying that because he's Italian. Matteo Lusari is not only an accomplished slalom skier in the collegiate and professional realms, he also has a doctorate in the field of sports psychology, and most notably, he's recently entered the noble profession of podcast hosting. That's right, Matteo is the host of the Water Ski Podcast, and even if you're not a water skier, the stuff he talks about with his guests is pretty captivating. His guests have been amazing so far, so why not give it a Listen, it's not like you don't have the time right now. And while you're checking out the Water Ski Podcast, why not check out all the other awesome Toad Water Sports podcasts that have recently started popping up. Man, I used to think I was alone out here, and for a while, I kind of was, but I'm happy to report that people are coming together to help build a podcast community within our water sports industry. A quick Google search for Toad Water Sports Podcast will return results for shows like Marcus Brown's Flow Point. Dave Briscoe's The Outside Edge, Spraymakers with Chris Rossi and Trent Finlinson, so many more. I know the Peacock brothers, you guys know those guys from YouTube, but they recently started their Peacock podcast series. They had my good pal Buckman Ferguson on, and he recently discussed why he closed the Wakeboard site, which I thought was a totally compelling interview. Uh, just know there's so much content out there for you guys to enjoy, and you can find it everywhere and anywhere. And don't think I'm going to use this opportunity to plug everybody else and not my own podcast as well. Did you know that you can find this podcast, the Golden Mike podcast, on SoundCloud, Google Podcast? iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen to all the episodes on my website, noiseofthenorth.com. And while you're on your computer or your smartphone, why don't you take the time to write a nice five star review for me as well as uh maybe a five star review for some of the other Toad Water Sports shows I talked about? I'm sure they would appreciate the love as well. It's all about those positive vibes, people. One last thing I want to mention is social media like me. I'm Dano T. Mano on Instagram and like the show Golden Mike Podcast on Facebook. Search it all and just hit the button. It's easy and it raises self-esteem. Folks, since our interview coming up with Matteo is slightly on the longer side, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. So why don't we get right into it, baby? It's Matteo Lazari right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Oh, yeah. Congratulations on the success so far with your podcast, man. You, you are up to – well, as we record this episode, you are up to 18 episodes released. As yep. this episode releases, I'm guessing probably maybe two to five more episodes are already going to be out. Insane, the water ski podcast, yeah, dude.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting one. I, if, As you know, podcasting started ages ago. And when I was in high school, still back at home, I had a little blog, Italian blog with water ski news. It would be a lot of like letting the Italian water ski community know what that was about. And I stumbled by accident about podcasting. But in the early 2000s, nobody really knew what that was for. It was one of those weird cases where we had the technology, but people were using it strangely. Like with podcasting, you can feed a video, a PDF document, audio, whatever you want. And so I started relaying some videos. That was before YouTube was big. Um, And then eventually I sort of like said, okay, I don't really get any traction. I'm better off just writing on my blog and sort of left it aside. And then obviously in the last five years, podcasting had been skyrocketing. Absolutely. And I thought, okay, um, you know, there's Marcus, there's you. And I thought, you know, maybe there's a room for like just audio only, water skiing. And originally I wasn't just gonna do interviews. Interviews was going to be part of the podcast and I think eventually will still be part of the podcast. Um, But uh, yeah, like interviews have been very successful, like a lot of feedback, so why stopping?
0: All right, man, well let's get to the story because you now have this podcast, it's amazing, but you're doing kind of what I've been doing and you're spotlighting others. You're putting others ahead of yourself and sometimes when that happens your story gets gets lost and um i think that uh i think it's important that uh again we we document the history and um i've been trying to get that done here on on my podcast and dude you are a dude whose name i have had on my list a long time because you came to me probably 30 episodes into my podcast i'll never forget it and you said dude I'm not telling you who you should have on or not on your show, but I might be an okay guest because I because of the sports. That's true. That's know? true.
1: Yeah, that was like what three, four years that ago. That was three or four yeah. years ago
0: because you were, I believe, you were. I don't were you hurt at the time or you were just coming back off an injury. Yeah, I camp? broke my
1: Achilles. Yeah. So, uh,
0: I want I want to go all the way back to it. You're from Italy. You speak amazing English. So obviously you've been hanging out here in the states for. For some time, and and I know a little bit about your story, but I wanna I wanna kind of get it out there, and we don't we don't have to go crazy about it, but let's start with um, how you got into water skiing, um, where you started water skiing.
1: Yeah, so I'm originally from a, an area called Lake Iseo in Italy, natural lake, and my dad, who was working for a boat company, just decided, okay, like notice the water skiing, you know, on on the big lake, bought a wrecked boat started skiing with his buddies. I was born a few years later.
0: Your dad started, like he bought a, was he working for a ski boat company? And was not a a ski boat?
1: No, it wasn't a ski boat. He just just bought a boat with an outboard that was allegedly strong enough to pull him and his buddies out. Mm -hmm. Um, And he got into the sport, like, you know, skiing outside of the course, uh, just Just ripping turns, ripping turns, yeah. And then when I was like four or five, I think my coach, my one ended up becoming my coach uh opened a ski school on the natural lake and then had a course so my dad saw the course fell in love you know you know how it is you turn a couple of buoys and you just go crazy about it and then in 93 my coach opened his own ski school in um in a man-made lake right now as you probably know in europe land is very expensive so it's very rare that you actually have a lake built specifically for water skiing but it ends up being, you know, old sand pits or old gravel pits right. that you reutilize. And so I tried there when I was seven, first time, uh, combo, you know. And I, at first, I really didn't buy, buy into it. You know, like I was going to the lake, but there were so many things to do at the lake.
0: So growing up, were, like, were you watching your dad ski? And... Yeah, I
1: remember. Yeah, yeah. The story goes that I was in the boat at three months old watching my dad. I obviously don't remember that, but.
0: Very good. All right. Hey, so. So from the time you learned to ski and then you got into um, competition skiing, how
1: how long was that, and then how serious did competition skiing become, and how quickly? It's funny because like as I said, I started skiing at seven, but until ten, I wasn't, I didn't do any tournament. I wasn't really getting huge hugely better at water skiing. I enjoyed the club life. I enjoyed, you know, going to the lake, swimming around, playing beach volleyball, playing foosball. Like, you know, the, the really club life in Europe is, is a bit different. You have like a lot of people at the lake. You find the body of water and you share it, right? So I enjoyed that aspect. And then I remember at 10... Obviously, there were other kids of other club members—they all of a sudden all got into tricking.
0: It, so this is like, so this is like an Italian water ski club yeah. that you guys. Yeah, are yeah, part the,
1: of. the one that my coach started in '93.
0: Okay, gotcha. And, uh, and this is because, it, from what I understand, and, and and again, like I heard this on the Adam Picos podcast. Plus, yeah. I've also been to Austria. Um, yeah. And it's not easy to. Like, it's a little expensive, right, to, to just go out there and ski on your own. like
1: it, Yeah, very hard.
0: Most people aren't just – it's not like here in America where, you know, you can call a buddy and they've got a boat and they're like, yeah, just bring over a tank of gas and let's go, right? No,
1: it's not as easy. Talk,
0: about, uh, talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I think, well, first of all, the three main boat manufacturers, at least in water skiing, uh, are American. So already you have a higher cost of receiving the boat in Europe. That's the cross the pond, right? Um, so boats are expensive to begin with. Right. Then you get into the whole trend that happened with skiing, where you know you're trying to get into smaller lakes, more smaller body of water, you know, and that becomes unfortunately more like, elite, more, more expensive. elite, more expensive. Um, and then for smaller private lakes. Like, we have them but it's land cost is five eight ten times more than say southern United States so you never you, there's no such thing as like a, what would you call it like a residential area with like five lakes and lots being sold around the lake there's not such a thing so you find a lake that was like an old gravel pit it's big enough but not too big right it's covered from the wind you manage to get some kind of like um, lease or like um, renting contract and then you just have people that come and ski and you pay per set right so did
0: you always love the tournament stuff or was there ever time where it was uh, you were kind of being pushed and you were like why do i do this other than i'm just being pushed to do it
1: uh well i i was always lucky and i said this several times that my dad was very hands-off and it's crazy because my dad skis right Right. so he could have easily been super hands-on But luckily, my coach ended up being one of his best friends. And so he basically always told me, said, this is Claudio, this is your coach, you listen to him. And, you know, I'll be here, I'll support you. But when it comes to skiing, he's your coach, I'm your dad. And I've always been very lucky about that. Um, But there was a time around the juniors where, like, I was ranked top five, top six in, in the world. But every single year of the junior uh, category, I got a big injury. And so I never got to to go to the Europeans or, or go there at least competitive as I should have been. And so I was getting a little fed up. And then I think your listeners will love this. At the time, wakeboarding was picking up big in Italy. And we had these two club members who would come there and ski with us, even late 90s, early 2000s. And uh, they would get uh, Dave Briscoe to come down to give them a clinic. You know, they they would pay. They were you know wealthy enough to get him down and just get private coaching. And them three were pushing me so hard to switch. They were like, Mateo, it's the new thing. You have some talent. I mean, what
0: what year is this? I mean, Briscoe's been around a long time. Also, Briscoe's now, I don't know if you've heard his podcast. I've heard, I've heard, yeah. Really, really good, too. Yeah,
1: I need to tune into that. I need to really need to reach out to him. But, yeah, I think it was uh, definitely 99 to 2002, 2003. How old are you in this age, Brad? Uh, 11 to 14. 11 to 14 years old. Yeah. Did you
0: aspire always to be like a competitive water skier? Is that kind of what was pushing you to, to water ski? Did you like, I I don't know for me, I I did the tournaments, but I never did three event tournaments. I did. Although I am thinking about it. I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about three event tournament, but I, I show skied. So I was a part of a ski club. And even though I had my own boat and I trick skied in the ski show, you know, it, it it was more about them than me. Yeah. If if it were a, I didn't really care about the tournaments, but I knew it meant so much to other people, to the team as a whole. That to that that made it important to me. You know you know what yep. I mean. But it's a, a complete. I, I don't know. It's a it's
1: a different experience. Yeah, a
0: completely different experience. But um, again, like. You were kind of bred a little bit different. I mean, I trained. My dad trained me growing up. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But he didn't train me to become a state champion trick skier, a national champion trick skier, a collegiate trick skier. You know, my dad was training me just so that I could make my passes in the ski show and wave to the crowd. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think, yeah, my experience was different, but it wasn't, again, led by my dad. Like I came, I went to my dad when I was 10 and 11, and said, I want a trick and I want to jump and I want to do this, you know, like I want to go to tournaments, like, because I saw the kids around me at the club getting into it. And, and then yes, when he sort of handed me off to my coach and his best buddy, that was the plan. Yes. There was like, you train, you're going to nationals, you're trying to qualify for, to make the national team, maybe go to Europeans. That was the plan.
0: Do you do anything else as a kid? Are you like playing soccer, football? Uh, basketball. Series?
1: did basketball quite a bit. Uh, I I did a bit of snowboarding when I was younger, which was also one of the things that made me consider wakeboarding during while well, those guys and Dave were pushing me. Um, but no, I play uh, play basketball until I was like 15 or 16, just as an off-season thing. You know, obviously it gets cold when I'm but from. It's a,
0: but always the the focus was, was water skiing.
1: Scene. You know, it was skiing. I enjoyed playing basketball. But I would, you know, I would sort of pivot under the basket and think, oh, this is very good off-season training for tricks. You know, like that, that's the mentality I had. Yeah, right, totally. Um, and then obviously, yeah, like 14, 15, I sort of said, okay, here we need to travel in the winter, at least during Christmas break, to get some skiing and keeping, you know.
0: So you start coming over to America, or where are you traveling to ski?
1: Uh, so no, I actually, I, I went to the UAE a lot. Uh, there was this ski school in Russell Hyman, one of the seven emirs there. Uh, beautiful place. Like, uh, two brand nautiques on the dock, drivers there for you, uh, three slalom courses in this horseshoe sort of channel that they dug and a, and a ramp. So it was perfect. It was like four and a half, maybe five hours flight, four and a half. Um, you know, it was, it was a great alternative to the U S it was always warm, like you know, 85 consistently.
0: Have you been, at this point, did you ever come to the U.S. to water ski or anything like that? Or, or were you mostly staying, like, uh, in Europe and on that side of the No, world?
1: always stayed in Europe. My first time in the U.S. was the Junior World Championships a Jack Travers in 2004. Um, that was my first time. But I'd already traveled in the winter in the UAE. Um, for for some ski, winter skiing and it was spent like you know three weeks there four weeks um and then i started going to the dominican republic um at mario pigozzi's place right so, wow you know that's that's when i started going there
0: very cool okay so let's let's talk a little bit about um you you briefly mentioned that um throughout your your career gr- kind of growing up you uh before some of the big games or big matchups you, you'd sustained some injuries um, talk a little bit, um, about working hard to, to get to a point and then, um, as a kid getting those injuries and then tell us about when you finally, um, like hit your first big achievement in water skiing.
1: Yeah. So it's funny because some people may laugh at this, but like I won under 14 Europeans and I still consider that to be the moment where I went, Okay. I my work is paying off. I'm getting good.
0: What did you win? Did you win slalom? slalom. I won slalom. slalom. Yeah. But, I, were you skiing as an like, because overall it was still pretty popular. Yeah. It was uh, maybe it was losing some of its steam, but it was still pretty popular. And 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 again, I know just from listening to your podcast that that you did. Um, ski multiple events, you jumped, you tricked, and you slalom all through college.
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much until I was 23. Um, And already at the time, slalom was my better one, uh, my best one. But uh, I made the national team for all three, right? So a Europeans, like Worlds, you can make the team, and then there's a team ranking at the end. So an overall skier naturally brings more points. Excuse me. So that tends to be the skier that makes the team, and I made the team. Right, I was super stoked. Uh, I, th- I honestly can't remember what I tricked. Jump, I did okay. But slalom, I was second in the prelims, and then went second, last of the dock, and won in a challenging site in Belgium. And that's Do you remember th-
0: who uh, some of the guys you were skiing against? Yeah, yeah. Or? You
1: uh, Second was Boyan Shipner, who was actually a very good slalomer early on. And then, obviously, his jump took over and right. became more famous for jumping. And then third was Stelio Merolla, a friend of mine from Italy.
0: Are you skiing with is T gas around at this point at all? Thomas? Uh
1: yeah, Thomas had a ski school. Well, his dad has a ski school in Trento. And me and my family would go ski with with his dad. And, and Thomas was there. So it's a beautiful area. So it was it was a good family bargain, you know. Like in the morning we would ski, and in the afternoon we would do hiking, bike riding around the mountains there in Trento. So yeah, I skied with yeah, Thomas was around, but I was skiing with Mar- with Marco. Actually, Marco, his dad, gifted me my first pair of combos. Oh no way! Know? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's awesome.
0: Very, cool. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. We had we we did have to, we had Thomas on the uh, podcast, and obviously a lot of my listeners know T Gas, yeah, a friend of mine. And I ski with him all the time. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, and. Uh, probably one of the more recognizable uh, for sure Italian for names, sure. You know, I
1: would so. say one of the more re- most recognizable names in water skiing.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know? Right yeah, now, yeah. man, he's done. He's done an awesome, awesome, awesome job. Okay, so so, so talk a little bit more as we uh, as we go. You were kind of like talking about, um, you know, as you as you come up through the ranks, and, uh, and again going back to the the part where where you had dealt with some injuries. But I want to find out about um, some of your big achievements too. Yeah,
1: yeah. So basically, yeah. As I said, like after that under twenty under fourteen championship, I thought, okay, now juniors, we're going thirty six miles per hour. That's when you do the switch. And uh, but then again, every year I got either and l- not that big of an injury at the wrong time, right, or maybe a bigger, a little bit of a bigger injury. Same,
0: same injury.
1: Different all the time. So when I was fifteen, I basically my abs detached from my last rib. And it was like a month before Europeans. Uh, actually, the same injury that um, that Freddy uh, Krueger had last year. Um, 16, I... What did I do then? Oh, yeah, I, I strained my abductor. But then I got to ski worlds, junior worlds. And I actually did okay that I got fifth. I was second after prelims, and then I got fifth. And then at 17, man, that was the last year of juniors. It was me and my buddy Stelio from Naples. Like, we were the first two in Europe in junior rankings by six buoys ahead of third. So it was going to be the ultimate showdown at Europeans. Uh, We were doing a team camp before leaving for Sweden. Landed a little funny from a a jump, ski jump. Blew my MCL. No way. The week before. So my family had tickets to go to Sweden. 17 years old? Yeah, MCL. Wow. Um and basically we went to see my buddy winning easy, which I hated. I was happy for him, but I hated because I knew it would have been a great, you know, showdown. Um so yeah, the juniors was a bit weird. And then the other the next achievement after that was in nineteen, I won under twenty one Europeans. Uh the summer before I moved to the US. Um and it's funny because I, I got recruited by UL Lafayette three weeks after that achievement, you know? So that kind of helped me seal the recruitment for UL. Because at the time, UL was stacked with great skiers. Uh, I knew I had a good slalom score. I, my PB at the time was 4 at 39. And then the week after I won the Europeans, I ran my first 39 in tournament. So in slalom, I was good. But tricks and I wasn't faring well compared to the team, the people that they had there. Uh, but then they decided to accept me, and that's when my U.S. journey started.
0: As a young skier coming up through the ranks in Italy, um, do you know about the American collegiate water ski scene? And is this no clue. So, uh, so were you, you were never drawn to that?
1: No, no. This is a good story. It involves Tigas, actually, because, um, as I said, I, I baffled a little bit with web design when I was in my teens, and then Tigas sort of noticed and said, hey, why don't you build me a website? You know, I said, he goes, I'll pay you. I said, no, you don't have to pay me. I've heard you're doing school and skiing in the US. So that if I may give you the website, like I, I'll create a website for you, you help me, you know, understand how this world works. And so all I knew at the time is that there was this University of Louisiana in Monroe, Louisiana, that had people that skied and they would help you pay for school, which for me was kind of like, bare minimum, because in Italy, university is pretty much free, so I wasn't going to go away to pay a lot of money for school, right? right? So yeah, But,
0: but uh, go away and Just water ski every day.
1: <laughs> That's not bad, right? Yeah. So so I basically, I do the website for Tigas I get an email address, I write out, hey, my name is Matteo, these are my scores, would love to hear from you, never heard back for like two months. And there was another guy from Italy that skied with Tigas in Monroe. His name is Fred Minelli. And he told me, no, Matteo, there's this other university in, in Louisiana. I'm sure they will take you. They're good. Kind of similar deal. And there's actually a lot of universities in the U.S. that do this. AUL UL uh, recruited me. So I moved to Lafayette, never been to Louisiana, no clue about the school, like just moved with my three of them back.
0: Now, is this your first time in America?
1: was my uh, fourth Cause after the '04 four junior worlds, I was invited to, to junior masters.
0: But now, but but at the end of the day you're, I mean, you're coming back over or You're coming to America now to live.
1: Yeah, now I'm, yeah, yeah. So I've never been in the US for more than a week.
0: You come to school, you come here to America. Um, talk, talk us through the collegiate experience. How, did it blow
1: your mind? It blew my mind. And it became literally the best experience I've ever had in water skiing. Uh, you ask any skier that has skied collegiate water skiing, like pros, non-pros, and they'll tell you basically it's the best four years of their life, but also the best four years of water skin they've ever had. It truly becomes a team, and I love that. Uh, I thought at first I was a little like, I mean, I don't know, it's a team event, it counts, but it's only about how you place. I was like, what, what's going on? And then I fell in love with it right away, right away. Were you utilizing
0: the collegiate system to um, hopefully, elevate your professional career.
1: Did you know? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, UL, there was a great lake. We call it Airport Lake because it's next to the airport, uh, 10 minutes from campus. So, I had a chance to ski a bunch. Louisiana weather is nice, right? Not, let's call it a winter if we can call it that, but you know, you can ski pretty much year round. Um, and uh, collegiate skiing is not NCAA. So, there's no pro to collegiate conflict. Now granted, I was receiving a scholarship, so obviously when it was collegiate season, collegiate tournament would come first. But if I had a weekend and there was a pro tournament that I qualified for, I went and you know tried my best against the best in the world. Sure. And I was uh, the coach of the national team at the time, Bubo Alessi, like really told me, any pro tournament you can afford, you go and do it, right? And so I was trying to squeak in a few in between collegiate tournaments.
0: Sure. So now, did you have any um, did you have any success within the collegiate um, realm?
1: So individually, I've never won slalom. I really, but there was a lot of good slalom skiers at the time. Sledge, uh, you know, Ian Trapp, Cale Burdick. Uh, the list goes on. Bartalski, Odvarko. The list goes on and on. Um, I managed to get a third. And the best year I've ever had was actually my second year where I got third in overall, fourth in jump, and fourth in tricks. Like it was so, like I, I'd improved my, two, my other two events a lot the day I got into Lafayette. Cause basically they said, okay, even if you screw up in Slalom, your score is gonna be great. We need you to become a better tricker and a better jumper. And in that year, I improved those events a lot. All right, well, so
0: here you are you talked about joining the collegiate ranks of water skiing twelve years ago, right? But yep, twelve years ago. Twelve years ago, but here you are, and uh, you're getting ready to to graduate uh, with a doctorate, yeah, um, in May for for sports psychology. Uh, where Where does this come from? Where, like, a guy from Italy? I, I mean, have yeah, you I... always just been an analytical dude about everything and everybody around you?
1: No, no. So it's, it's a weird story. So I, when I got to UL, as I said, with my three of them bag, no clue, uh, I didn't even know exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I knew that I like computers, and then my favorite subject in high school was philosophy. So I had to make a choice between the two. And I chose computer science solely because UL was like a top 20 program. So I'm like, okay, sounds good. Degree. I can program from wherever I want. I moved to Orlando. I program in the morning, I ski in the afternoon, I try to make it in the pro tour. This was the idea. Uh, First two years, a lot of prerequisites, math, physics, logic, cognitive science, loved all of them. Finally made it to the programming courses, hated it. Like realized big existential crisis. I realized I did not want to do my life like that. And so I tried to switch to philosophy, but, excuse me. UL made national news that year because it was the first campus in the United States to close a major in philosophy. I mean, what university does that, right? So I switched to psychology, uh, minored in philosophy, and loved the field, loved the field. And then I had to make a decision, okay, what do I do now? And one professor said, hey, we have a master's in experimental psychology. Uh, You can do some research. It's a two-year program. We have assistantships available. So I basically said, okay, I've skied a few pro tournaments in the U.S. There's not really any in Europe, and we might touch on that later. Um, so I can stay here, ski for another two years at UL, get a master's degree, and then figure out what to do afterwards. And as I started delving into the research in various fields of psychology, sports was always coming back, you know, always coming back. And, and then I basically applied to Florida State uh, whilst I was finishing my master's degree got accepted to allegedly one of the best sports psychology programs in the world and then moved to Tallahassee.
0: Okay, so so talk a, a little bit about what sports psychology is and yeah. who it would benefit.
1: Yeah, so sports psychology is a bit of a newer field uh, compared to, let's say, traditional clinical psychology or counseling. And the idea, the way the field is really evolving, is what we would call performance psychology. So the idea is, how do we make, how do we help performers uh, perform better? Right. That's a core idea. And as you know, in performance, there's a lot of things that matter. There's a like physical aspects, technical aspects, tactical, strategic, uh, nutrition. There's so many facets that make performance, mental. including the mental side. Right. And so a lot of it is, which is what makes it different from your traditional clinical psychology, is that clinical psychology, you have a problem, we're trying to fix it until you're, we can't really say you have that problem anymore. Right? Kind of like a medical model. So you come in with some symptoms, we alleviate the symptoms to the point where you, we can't say anymore you have that whatever it is. Um, so you're fixed. You're fixed, kind of, Right. Uh, and clinical psychology is changing a bit, but the core model remains that. In sports or in performance, there's not a normal line, right? You can, there's not such a thing as being confident normally, right? Now, there are problems with overconfidence, of course, but like uh, there's not a limit of normalcy, right? So the idea is, how can I help you focus more? How can I help you stay motivated? How can I help you um, deal mentally with an injury, right? Whether it's during the injury, as you get back on the water. So
0: you, you're definitely around a lot of high-level athletes, especially in our sport of toad water sports. Uh, do you find yourself um, like starting to accidentally study your peers, the people around you?
1: Yes, uh, not more now like i've always had that you know like i remember when i went to the like the worlds were in milan in 99 and i was 11 11, and then in Recetto in 2001 i was 13. and i remember going to the worlds to watch you know andy cp you know like emma shears all these massive athletes and i would study what they were doing but it was more like the technical side right now with the wealth of knowledge that I have and the passion that I have for for my field, I really look at the mental side, how they relate to people. What are, what are they focusing on?
0: Um, I want to talk a little bit, um, about the Italian scene and just the European scene in general and what it's like over there. I know that, um, that you have done a little event organizing yourself, but first before you tell me about some of the events that, that you have organized or that you're a part of, um, just give us kind of an overview of, of, of what the Italian and the European scene – because the European scene is almost like the American scene, right? Like, I mean, it's uh, – um, in the, terms this, of
1: numbers, you mean?
0: Uh, exactly. I mean, y- like y- Italy would almost be like, uh, like, like a Florida or something, you know. And uh, France could be like a California or something in yeah. terms of like the events and the the people and whatnot. There, I would
1: say, I would say probably the American scene is still bigger, probably than the whole European scene. I would say, I don't have the numbers to back it up, but it seems to me like that would be the case. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know, but um. But in terms of, like, Europe, probably, like, as far as water skiing goes, the two countries with the biggest numbers are France and the, Un- and the United Kingdom. Just a long tradition and history of water skiing, right? Italy's pretty good uh, as, a, as a long tradition of competitive water skiing, and we've had world champions and, and pro skiers and whatnot. Uh, but in terms of numbers, I don't think it was as many. And particularly when we had that shift however long it was, in the late 90s, mid to late 90s, where people started to look for smaller lake, flatter water, less wind, away from the public eye, then the numbers in Italy dropped a lot. Sure, right? sure. Um, but, you know, the, the scene is more, as I said, like I think that over the years I've learned that that's the big difference. Like land is more expensive. You're lucky enough if you find a body of water. Uh, you, you form a club right away. You have members, and the boat is never stopping. Which there's great advantages with that, right? Like, I don't know that without the young kids that were, you know, son and daughters of club members where I grew up, I would have gone into skiing nearly as much, right? you know, I think that's one of maybe the downsides of the US model. Like you're a kid, more often than not, you're not surrounded by other kids that ski. You're skiing with your family. Exactly. Which is cool, right? but might not be the end all be all for some other kids, right? They want to be around kids. Right.
0: Hey guys, I just wanted to interject with a quick message from our friends over at Wake Responsibly. When we're riding out on the lake, we all know the deal, right? Minimize repetitive passes on any one shoreline. Keep your music at reasonable levels and stay at least 200 feet away from shorelines and docks. Great. Well, in light of recent events, Wake Responsibly has added some rules for social distancing. During this pandemic, in addition to following the local laws of your lake, make sure to limit your boat crew to just you and members of your immediate household. Stay six feet away from everyone, especially in normally crowded areas like the sandbar and at the boat launch. We can only have good times if we stay healthy, so do your part. If you guys want to learn more, please head over to wakeresponsibly.com. So what's, uh, what's the scene like um, in in Europe and, again, Europe and obviously more general to you, Italy right now? I mean, is there a scene? Is there events?
1: Yeah, there are events. There are events. And I think I've said it numerous times. In the last two or three years, there's been a resurgence, right? I see. I talk to ski school owners. I talk to friends that have ski shops. Uh, Uh, I'm sponsored by HO Skis, so I have a sense of how that company is going. There's just more interest into water skiing, you know? Uh, I see it at local tournaments at home. Um, I see it at the numbers at the Europeans Championships, you know? Like, there's more interest both in terms of the high competitive side and people that just want to water ski, right? Like, uh, strap a pair of combos, teach me how to ski, you know? Um, And I couldn't be like happier about that. That's what I'm doing, what I'm doing. I think part of the reason why you're doing what you're doing is that like spread the word about, you know, living on the lake and, and and being towed by a boat, doing what you love.
0: Trying to get, trying to get the word out there, trying to get more people interested in, in, um, you know, getting more people behind the boat or under the cable, really getting a handle in their hands, feet and boots, you know? Exactly. Exactly. That's it, man. That's, that's, that's really what, uh, that's really what it, what's important now, and, and it comes down to events. And I know, like, dude, as athletes, as skiers, as members of this community, I think a lot of it falls on us. I put on a good couple of a uh, handful of events, you know, yep. I'm involved in, um, and I know that you've been involved in some events as well, um, organizing. So, um, touch a little bit on that. Are, are you still organizing events? Yeah,
1: yeah. So, uh, that's one of the things that I literally learned everything I know from my dad. So my dad became the president of the club where I grew up skiing in 98. And immediately he said, okay, we have to organize tournaments for kids. We have to organize tournaments. A a healthy sport has a competitive side. And kept organizing tournaments every year. And then we opened a new ski site in San Gervasio in 2005. And my dad organized the U21 Europeans and the Junior Worlds in 2010. So U21 Europeans 07, Junior Worlds 2010 and those events i mean i have to tell you organizing an event is not cheap uh it's obviously a lot of work and in those two events quite frankly particularly the junior worlds we lost money right we worked hard we found sponsors we just had to pay all this money out and we really didn't see a a point to it right and naturally the site in san gervasi is very good that's one of those rare occasions where it's a ski lake like built for water skiing right so a federations like the european region the iwwf they asked us hey why don't you throw in a bid for the worlds or the europeans of such and such and we're like no you know we lost money it was a great event you can ask here's the word there and they loved it
0: at the end of the day you know even us as, as organizers and and i've been very very lucky you know that we've base, you know In my early days, it was all about I would do everything for free and probably spend money. And still, you know, maybe I'm spending a little bit of money. uh, But ultimately, uh, you know, we've been very lucky that we've broken even most of the time. Exactly. And at the end of the day, it's like you got to at least do that, you know. And it's tough because you got a lot of people who probably – aren't getting paid I, oh no for sure and i hate to say it though mateo but i think that's like a part of the the problem with uh with, with with what happened to these contests you had too many people who weren't getting paid and you know and you when and you got people who aren't being paid and you can't you know uh, you have a judge who's just volunteering and they make a bad call well, how, how do you hold that person accountable at the end of the day
1: <laughs> no for sure the the system the system has faults and to us the biggest thing with the Junior Worlds was who, who is getting all that money we paid for, right? There's a fee that you have to pay to the World Federation, and it's a fat fee, okay? And we didn't see any advantage of that. We still had to pay for judges. We still had to, you know, uh, like, we didn't see a service. And certainly, the athletes didn't get any cut of that. As a ski school that we are, which, you know, we can make money from sets, those kids are never going to come back they just came to do the worlds and most of them won't ever come back to this and you're
0: losing all the money from having the ski school shut down exactly too
1: so we're like okay this model doesn't work and for two or three years we kept organizing events like uh record capability tournaments you know the the usual tournaments and we might have done a nationals and then in 2014 uh 2013 sorry um i was skiing a lot of pro tournaments in the u.s uh, started to make a couple of finals, you know, uh, I had gone to Mumba, I had done a couple of tournaments in Canada, but there were no pro tournaments in Europe, like zero, right? No cash prize tournaments in Europe. And I thought, you know, when Alessi told me that I needed to do pro tournaments, that was like a developmental stage. Like I started to have the score, but was I good enough to do it when it mattered? Right. And there's such a pool of talent in Europe, in slalom and in jumping tricks as well, but I guess I care about slalom. I'm like, these kids are never going to get the experience, right? Unless they live in the U.S. or they travel to the U.S. extensively, which is not sustainable. And so I talked to my dad and my coach and and Nicholas, my coach son, I said, why don't we do a small cash price event? The IWWF has this new introductory system where we don't have to put 21 grand off the get-go for men and women. We can put nine, right? I say we do a pro and amateur event right? The amateur event is going to help pay for the cash price. We get the pros that we get, you know, the ones that decide to come, and then we see. And they were on board with it, right? So I was, I was super stoked. That was going to be my tournament, my deal, talk to the pros, try to get them there, right. you know? And we had, I think we had 12 pros between men and women, which is not a lot, but we had Freddie showed up, Carlo Alice was there, Uh, Nick Parsons flew in. It was like a good group. And, you know, skiers were stoked.
0: And and how many amateurs did you guys have? We
1: had like 55. Amateurs right away.
0: You know what? It's awesome. You got a couple of pros to fly in from wherever. But 55 amateurs.
1: Yeah. That is something to be proud of. Which we are. And they're... 2014 would have marked the 10th anniversary of a slalom tournament that we were doing in, in August. Mm-hmm. So we said, you know, to, to celebrate that, we're gonna do a pro and amateur. Right. So And those were the numbers we had at the slalom tournament early on this year. So like loyal, faithful, you know, skiers came back. Some pros joined in, it was a great weekend. I had Ministrina Marco there like shooting like a little two and a half minute reel and it was a great success. Then, second year, we did 14 and a half grand, which is the, se- the second step for IWWF elite ranking. And then, the third year, 2016, we did 21.
0: Basically, basically for, for these events, for it to be a certain level of event, you have to have so much prize mm-hmm. money
1: put in. Exactly, it. because the points that create this, what we call the elite ranking, are correlated to the money. So, that's why at first it didn't attract a lot of skiers. Not a lot of money equal not a lot of points. You know, but the ones that came uh, to this day, I'm so grateful for because then the following year and, and key part, the first year we didn't lose any money, and the money we spent went to the skiers, right? So I'm like, okay, we're on a, on the right track. Next year is 14 and a half. We're gonna have to find some more sponsors, right? And we did. And the second year we had a little bit more pros, right? The event was a huge success. It was the first year we we did a head-to-head final which I'm a big believer of. I right. think love it. Love it. It's like, you know, my, our, late, it, it makes it exciting. It makes it exciting. It's easy to understand.
0: Yeah. It, it, it dumbs it down for the crowd. I mean, you got to remember, man, when it, when it comes down to it, uh, we know you and me know, Yeah. but we don't matter because at, exactly. at the end of the day, we're, we're not going to go and spend retail on a boat or spend retail on a ski or anything like that. So we need to get those people who are interested in the sport and following it at a level they know. And, dude, the, uh, the head-to-head in slalom makes it very, very yeah. fun and exciting. Listen,
1: our lake is in the middle of cornfields. And sometimes, I remember that first year or two, because we, we had some local press coverage, you know, like, hey, come over, it's free. Come watch some the best sk- skiers in the world. And we have farmers. And when I tell you farmers, I'm talking hay hat, white tank top, out of the tractor farmers and all they needed to know was that there are two boats there's two dudes they're turning some buoys if the second skier in order beats the first does more buoys wins if it does the same the first one wins and they continue so everyone understands the format and it was our first first year doing head-to-head So a big year we had brand new boats like okay this is a big year where we can attract even more sponsors went well and then the third year where we had 21 grand so 12 for, for guys and nine for women uh there were some epic battles between nate and freddie i think the two of them together ran 41 off six times so you know it, it then by then the tournament was launched so this year is uh, our seventh edition wow yeah
0: congratulations man
1: uh, thanks and and that that makes me proud you know i'm proud of that um but what makes me even more proud is that the first three year we were solo. And I was really hoping, because my project was, if there's a young European skier out there that can make, they, they need to challenge themselves, one tournament ain't gonna be enough. Right. In the first three years, unfortunately, we were the only ones. I'm like, come on, someone will get inspired. Someone will do it as well. 2017, there were four, with our included. 2018, five. Last year, we had six in five weeks. And this year we have six, but this year they're organized in a tour. Awesome. With its own points, its own bonus at the end. Like last year, Europe became the the hub of pro water skiing. Dude, it's, I would have never imagined that. You know, it's
0: insane. It's so dude. It's it, it's so cool, and and it's gotta feel amazing too. To 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 you know know that that people are following the lead and and indeed this is what this is what is going to build the sport like you said man and uh the tour sounds insane so so if anybody wants to get information about that is there um like any kind of website or anything
1: yeah so it's european waterski tour.com it's a gentleman from france his name is greg and uh he's a passionate skier not pro or anything um and he said okay there's opportunity here why don't we make them all together into a tour with its own point system. And he said, you guys keep the format you have. I'm, I'm just trying to put it together for people to follow, right? And so the point system is going to be very similar to, say, um, MotoGP or Formula One. So you win, you get 30 points, you get second, you get 25. Sure. And so people can follow right? There's going to be storylines, you know, like Dano won the first tournament, but then the second one, he kind of blew it. So he's in, now he's in third place. How is he going to do at this event? Right? Like it's going to create a lot of storylines and all the tournaments are going to be webcasted so people can follow online. So yeah, European waterski tour.com.
0: Very cool. All right. Um, I got to ask you when it comes to water skiing, um, what, what, what makes you fan out? What completely gets you excited? Um, I'll just give you like a couple of, uh, an example. Um, you know, I was, um, I was walking, I was walking around Publix, you know, eight years ago and I ran into Andy Maple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I'm just like, I, I couldn't even say anything. You know what right, I mean? Right. I was like, whatever. Uh, Earlier or last year, Carl Roberts walked up to me, and you know he introduces himself, and I didn't recognize who he was at the moment because yeah, uh, it's tr- like you know he's been out of the spotlight for a long time, and I was just a fan through the magazine as a kid, right, right. right. Uh, I was just like, oh my god, when he told me that he appreciated you know the announcing and everything, I was like, oh my god, um, it made me fan out, dude. I ran into right. Sammy Duval at. Um, uh, Tijuana Flats a, a few months ago, dude. I was right. just like, Sammy. And, you know, I met him like 10 times. You know, I'm like, Dano the Mano, nice to see you again. He's like, oh, Dano,
1: great. What makes you fan out? Um, to me, like, fan out, obviously, like, the twenty, the 2001 Worlds in Rechetto were were a big thing. You know, it was Worlds. I was 13, so I was able to understand the sacrifices that these guys and, and, and girls were making to be there. And I just remember my dad, for Sunday finals, we live about an hour and a half away from Recetto, and my dad was like, we're leaving at 6 o'clock. Like skiing wasn't going to start until 9, but he said, we leave at 6, we get the best seat possible in between 3-ball and 4-ball, I want to watch the women and men's slalom final. So we show up at 7.15, and the order was going to be 9 a.m. Uh, women's final slalom, and then a following men's slalom final. The boats are covered. It's September. Recetto is in the middle of rice fields, so it's kind of foggy, not super warm. There's one dude standing on the dock at Lake 2, just scrutinizing the score. Like the, the lake, sorry. It was Andy. Like with that classic pose of like, you know, crossed arms, chest out, just looking at every single stone on the dock, on, on the lake. And I'm like, that's, that's f- amazing. It was crazy, you know, and I remember watching him getting off the dock, third or fourth of the dock, skiing three of 41. And he was early for three. He wasn't late. Like he could have gone to four, but he knew it was enough. And as he turned three, got his big foot out of the kicker and just waved at the crowd. And I was like, dude, that's that's a bit ballsy. You know, like CP's on, on shape. There's Drew still to go like, wow. And sure enough, that was the score to win. And I was, like, so starstruck, you know, like, oh, my God. Like, that's that's the apotheosis of, of, of our sport, you know. And, uh, yeah, so, and then the other moment, when you talk about starstruck, uh, well, I have two. Can I, can I say two? Oh, it yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so one was second time at the Junior Masters. Uh, I was on an H. Oh, yeah. Let me think. Hold on. Yeah, yeah. Now, I wasn't on H.O. anymore, but I grew up skiing on H.O. And uh, I had a Wade Cox poster in my bedroom, right? So second junior master's, I'm leading after the prelims with three and a half at 38, big crash in front of the pavilion. So I swim to the pavilion, walk through, and on the walkway to the pavilion comes Wade Cox. And I knew he was, going, he was scheduled to ski his last master's. And I'm kind of like a little starstruck. I've never met the dude. What do I say? And the guy was like, man, you killed it out there. That was sick skiing, you know, like, and I remember just saying thank you or I said something stupid. I don't know. But all I could think about was I just won the junior masters, man. (laughs) And sure enough, (laughs) following day, I needed like five at 35 to win, and I crashed two, two ball at 35 and lost. But that was such a big moment, you know. Like, I, Wade gave me kudos for my skiing. Absolutely, you dude. know. And then the third one was, 2010, I had been skiing on an A1, HOA1, that's the ski that Bob Lapointe built uh, for HO, and the ski that Jay Bennett told me to ski on. He said, Matteo, Bob built this ski for HO, you gotta jump on it, you gotta ski on it, and I had a fantastic season. Like, I think I skied two at 41, like, six times or seven times, got to two and a half. Like, I was skiing really well. In, I think I went in the world rankings from, like, 80th to 20th. Like, wow. something crazy. And then I was at Lake Airport Lake at UL, like, skiing at college. And I got a call from Marcus and Dave Winnegar. And they were like, hey, we've been watching you. We really want you to so be Marcus part of Marcus Brown, Marcus Brown, and Dave Winiger,
0: and and Dave is the what the VP prod, the VP of H O Skis, yeah,
1: and they were basically hey, we we kind of kept an eye on you. You're skiing amazing on the A one. We're stoked. We want you to be on the syndicate team, and I was like, oh yeah, thank you, thank you. And then I hear a voice in the back that goes, uh, yeah, we we would love to have you with us. And I, and I literally said on the phone, It was on the phone, I'm like, is this Bob Lapointe? <laughs> you know? I was like, yeah, it's Bob. I'm, yeah, it's awesome. You know? And I was like, dude, Bob Lapointe has seen me ski? This is insane. You know? The dude that built the ski I'm on, that signed it in the back, noticed me. I was That was like another starstruck moment. You know? So I've always been a fan of the sport and a competitor in the sport at the same time, Right, you know, like that's how I grew up. I wasn't a fan and then became a competitor and wasn't a fan anymore. You know, like it, those two always went together sure. and still do, still do.
0: We, so you, you get the job, you know, you get on the team with HO and here we are, you know, nearly 10 years later. Yep. Yeah. Um, the company you skied on as a kid. I mean, it comes full circle for you. Talk about the relationship with HO and um, what you what what you do for the brand. What you're doing with the brand?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I basically, you know, uh, I started just skiing. They said, "Okay, we'll give you product. You can, you know, ski on the product, be one of our faces, and help us develop, you know, the skis." But for a few years, I didn't have the knowledge. And not, not that I have a lot of knowledge now, but I don't think I had the, the experience to understand differences in materials, right? And then I had a moment when I started my PhD in 2014, I had the best season probably to this day. Like I ripped three of 41. I was, for a brief moment, like 10th in the elite ranking. I did my first few podiums, I was doing very well. Broke the Achilles, six months out. 2015 season was really hard uh, to come back. 2016 season, I didn't have a good season. So I was like, okay, I'm, I'm not dedicating almost as much time as I should to my PhD because of this competitive skiing thing. And I basically, in the winter of 16, I called all my sponsors, I called the national team, and I said, I'm not going to Worlds next year. Like, that's not a priority for me. And I was very surprised of how H.O. and Fluid Motion and Aquaflyer and the national team told me, like H.O., they've told me, you are more to us than your performances. Please stay involved. And so that's when I started to be really curious about ski shapes and um, ski design. And I don't understand nearly as much as most of the guys, but it's something that really kept me motivated in the sport so, you know, Will would give me some some kind of ski and I would try it and give tell him what I thought. And just the fact that Will Will Asher would respect what I had to say. Right. I was like, whoa, okay. I feel like I don't know anything, but cool, you know. Let, let's see what I can learn, you know. Um, so now it's become a little bit more like also helping with, with product. With right? product and design and yeah. whatnot. Yeah, I don't – I'll be honest with you. I don't spend as much time on the water – as I should, to be able to contribute in a, in a very meaningful way, like say JT or or Will now Benny Stahlbauer, you know. Um, but I do have my say, and you know, like it, it's it's a very community like community driven project.
0: I think I think we've heard it here. You know, you've been around, you you paid your dues, you put your time in, and uh, dude, you, you, have a mind for it. You're a smart dude. So I think it's, I, I, I think it's a good fit. And, uh, and, and where we set right now, bro, above and beyond, I don't care if you're the best skier in the world. Um, if you're putting on the best performances, the, the stuff that you're doing right now is humongous. And I'm talking about the podcast, man. Oh, thanks you, buddy. You are, um, uh, it is such an asset to our sport. Um, you know, and, uh, the, the, the fact that guys like us are, are going out there and we're, we're getting the history down and we're getting these interviews. And, um, I, I think, I think it's very, very important. And I think the interviews that you are doing are, um, they're, they're, they're really, really, really interesting. Um, Thanks, buddy. if you, I don't care if you're a skier, if you're a wakeboarder, if you care about toad water sports in general, you should care about the athletes and, uh, and, you're doing a great job of spotlighting these guys and and some some of these athletes who may have never had the opportunity to have had their story out there. And again, like that's also what I'm trying to do here yeah. with this thing. So um, kudos, kudos to you on that. So I want to give you an opportunity to um, let people know out there um, how they can find your podcast and also, um, I don't know if you do, um, I know you do audio podcasts, but I don't know if you do like uh, outside of that, if you do like clinics or coaching or anything like that, or if anybody oh, yeah, maybe sure. wants to get a little sports psychology from you and stuff like that. Yeah,
1: of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, the podcast is called The Waterski Ski Podcast. Not a lot of uh, inventive there. I really, the goal with that was to almost make people stumble upon it, see how cool the sport is through the voices of the people in the sport and then get interested or hooked into the sport um, and luckily that has kind of been happening like i've been receiving the coolest part of this whole thing was is receiving the emails of people that say i don't know uh found your podcast by accident i used to ski 20 years ago and now i bought a ski and i became a member of this community and now i'm skiing again or you know uh, cool i wakeboard now i kind of want to try the course you know like things like that that really make me think okay it's making an impact, right? And it's not to denigrate any of the feedback I've received for from skiers, from pro skiers, from uh, skiers in the sport, friends. I mean, thank you, please keep it coming. But like, it's it's a lot of like those people that through the podcast found out about the sport and wanted to know more about the sport. That's really what makes me proud. It's so, awesome,
0: man. And, and And I and I will say this, you know, I, I just, I, I looked it up earlier today, so. I recorded my first podcast, I believe it was like April of 2014. And, and yep. the advice, like I know the close people are going to drop off because it's just a normal thing to them, what you do, you know what I mean? Right. But you are right. And, and, you know, and maybe, maybe like, I don't necessarily personally get nearly as uh, as many emails as I used to get, but I, but I get them as well. And yeah. you are right. And it's amazing to see uh, an email from somebody who you have no idea who this person is yeah
1: isn't it amazing I mean I don't know about you but for me it's like one of the most rewarding aspects of it all you know
0: yeah it's it's basically you know makes it all worthwhile at the end of the day it really
1: does it really does so yeah water ski podcast
0: and you're you're all over though like dude I know well I've only found my podcast so far on so many different places but like five like I only put it up on two or three places but I found it on like five or six places But you've done an awesome job of of finding all the so where where is your podcast available?
1: Uh, Apple, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, pretty much uh, over uh, overcast like whatever whatever you listen to podcasts, There's almost a hundred percent chance that you'll find the Waterski podcast. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, I awesome. really that that's where the little bit of like web design knowledge came back and being able to through the coding and through just word of mouth through submitting it like try to spread the word
0: yes I am not a, a technology guy at all so right. <laughs> um, with the with the podcast I know we're, we're getting ready to close out here but has there been like one episode so far that uh, that really made you feel like wow I, I just can't believe I'm doing this
1: yeah I mean a lot of them to me <sighs> It's tough to pick favorites. To me, the, the, the one where, when I was, because I'm sure you do the same, you really listen to the, to the recording and then you try to maybe pick a couple of highlights and then, you know. Um, to me, the one, I did a two-parter with Jay Bennett and the second one is strictly about coaching. So I was able to use my knowledge in sports psychology to pick his brain and see how he, he reasons when he coaches. I mean, the guy has coached some of the best water skiers ever. And to me, the, the quality of the content is just huge, right? It's just, I, I really listen to that for myself, you know? like Right. Um, but not like, all the others have been great. Uh, and I think a lot of it is, because, you know, like, uh, it's funny. Like, I had a couple of things happening. Like, one is people wanting me, like, telling me who who is shooting interview.
0: Right. I don't yeah. know if that happens to you as it's well. It's
1: never going to stop, you know? Yeah. And the other one is that sort of casual, uh, hey, if you need anyone for the podcast, right. you know, like, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't know what I can say, but uh, yeah, which I, I think, I think both of them are cool things, but they're interesting, right?
0: Well, it's uh, it's better, it's better to have people wanting to be on your show than not wanting for, to be on your show. Of so course, it means of it, course. It, it, you should take that because it, it means you know, it, it means a lot for sure.
1: Absolutely. Um, the the one thing though that i think has been keeping me going and i know i'm i'm new to this but like i'm having conversations with people that i would want to talk to even if the microphone wasn't present seriously you know what i mean like that's the people i want to talk to and i think th- that increases the quality of of the podcast right the, the quality of the content so that's what i'm i'm sort of using like i really like my first episode was I interviewed the president of the Clemson water ski team because I wanted the story. Like they, in the last five or six years, they went from uh, D2 to fifth in D1, and there not a lot of names that I could recognize. And I'm like, how the hell are they doing this? They have no scholarship, you know? How are they doing this? And so I, I talked to my buddy Sean Hunter. I said, hey, who's the president there? I want I want the story. You know, I didn't know her. Uh, we met on Skype. I recorded the episode, I had some very specific questions that I wanted the answer to, and then ended up being one of the most successful episodes. Yeah, right?
0: it was a good episode, for sh- and, and it's funny because, um, you know, and, and I hear it from my listeners, uh, they'll be like, and, and you know, a lot of my listeners are wakeboard people, but yeah. they'll be like, you know, I wasn't interested in that name, but I listened to it because I listened to your show, right. and I learned something, and I liked it, you know, I I know that I know that, um, you know, for, from the Zach Wardens to the Ron Scarpas uh, to the Keith St. Ange's, you know, right. um, it, there's been some good nuggets out of those. And I'm sure that somebody has been inspired to go ski, just like I'm sure some water skiers have been inspired to, to go out and wakeboard, you know?
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I hope that one of the things that happened by from trick skiers that hurt to Erica's story, Erica Lang, is why don't I wakeboard? right? Why not going out and and, and try, you know, and see how that goes, you know, like not competitive or anything, but it's another agility, technical, acrobatic sport that I could do, right? Um, So no, for sure. It's just fun.
0: It's just fun. fun. Exactly. That's it. That's it. At the end of the day, it just, just like slalom skiing is fun. Trick skiing is fun. Anything is as Fun as you make it,
1: right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I, when I interviewed Marcus, I told him, I mean, we're so lucky. We do an outdoor sport next to water, you know, like ath- keeps us athletic. It's why wouldn't you want to be involved, right? And of course, the the growth of the sport is a question that has no answer and all the answers. But it it is a pretty cool sport, you know. Like a lot of sports happen in closed doors, inside. You know, like this is like, look at outside of your window, you know, know. like the lifestyle is pretty dope, you know,
0: we, we are, uh, we are very lucky and, uh, blessed people. I will say that
1: I, I, I agree. I really agree.
0: There it is guys. Well, the water ski pod, uh, podcast is what's called Mateo Luceri, Um, tell them where they can find you on social media. And before you do that, also, uh, drop some shout outs to your family and your
1: sponsors. Oh yeah, for sure. So a big thanks to my dad, who I will have to translate this interview for in case he is interested to know what, what I said about him. Uh, yeah, for giving me the bug, for giving me the bug and teaching me most of what I know. Uh, obviously, mom and my sister, who, you know, despite they're not skiers, they always supported my, me and my dad's passion. Um, and now my sister works with us at ski school at home. So that kind of being a little comeback. Um, My coach, Claudio, uh, back home, and his son, Nicholas, for being the best friends and ski partners that anyone could possibly imagine. Uh, And then Keith Albritton at Lake 38, who, since I moved to Tallahassee, pretty much hosted me, you know, and made me part of his family. Uh, And then shout outs to my sponsors, SKIS, Fluid Motion Bindings, Aquaflyer Wetsuits. Um, Really, thank you for your continued support and, and the Italian water ski team.
0: There it is. Uh, social media.
1: Oh, uh, social media. Easy. Uh, Twitter, Lutz, tweet. um, Instagram, Lutzgram. I uh, have no Facebook. You might spell it real quick. L U Z Z G R A M. lutzgram
0: Very good, man. Hey, dude. Thank you so much. Uh, have a good trip. I know you're leaving in a few months here. Or... I'm
1: leaving next month to move back home. Yeah.
0: So yeah, you have a, a good trip back to, uh, and then and then how long before you come back to America?
1: Uh. Pff. I don't know. Uh, I'm coming back to May for my graduation. Okay. Um, but yeah, in March I'm moving back home for good. You're gonna come to the Masters as well? I don't think I can make it to the Masters this year. But I'll be watching you and my boy, my boy Boyd. You yeah, know, you know right. the story that I put it like I got him the, the Masters job.
0: No, I didn't know you that. You don't know Tyler, that Tyler Boyd. Tyler
1: Boyd. So I mean, I got him. Uh, he was announcing at collegiate tournaments. Right. And we loved him. So I created a Facebook group which was make Tyler Boyd announce the Masters. And it had like thousands of followers, like a good two 3,000 followers, and really nothing came out of it that, that year. And then in November, he called me and said, dude, no, T called me. They want me to announce the Masters. That is, it, so cool, cool?
0: is so Isn't it cool? I love announcing. Tyler is so good. He's so passionate. He's so smart, man. Yeah, you
1: guys do a great job there.
0: We really appreciate. I, you know, I I get. I'm uh, very excited, and I love skiing, man. So. It's, Say,
1: so. So here, like same here. It's a shame. It's a little dark. Otherwise, we could go for a rip.
0: I know, man. Next time, next time, and next time, dude. We got to do this going the opposite way, bro. I got to be on yours one of these days. I'm.
1: I'm. I'm. uh Absolutely. I'm that
0: guy. <laughs> you got to interview me too, brother. <laughs> Absolutely,
1: I will for sure. For sure. Yeah. Let's do it soon.
0: Yeah, you got to get. You got to get inside my brain. Well, we. Who knows? Maybe we'll, maybe I'll uh, sneak up to your graduation party, right?
1: Dude, you should. You should. I'll, I'll give you details.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there it is. All right, guys. Uh, Mateo, thanks again so much for uh, for doing this. I appreciate you so much and uh, for making the trip out here. Guys, that's it. That's all for this one. And uh, please do me a favor. Hang out. Hang tight because I'm going to be right back after a quick word from some of these sponsors right here on the Golden Mike Podcast, baby. Oh, Yeah. Right now is the perfect time to upgrade your pride and joy. I'm talking about that two-ton fiberglass beauty just sitting on the axles of a trailer in your driveway, making your neighbors drool, making your neighbors jealous. Why not make your boat just a little more special with Roswell Marine? Visit their website roswellmarine.com to check out their selection of towers, tower accessories, marine audio board racks and everything else your boat needs roswell's motto is quality without compromise no matter what right now people deserve to feel good and there's no better feeling than opening up a package from roswell marine and knowing it's going to perform reliably from the moment you install it come to think of it it doesn't even need to be installed in your boat i have a set of their 2019 iVex innovation award winning roswell r1 pro tower speakers and i use them as a surround sound for my house and just to light up my bedroom whatever you're looking for be sure to use the dealer search function on their website to find the one closest to you and that website again is www.roswellmarine.com
1: Presented by Deck Marine Products. It's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano.
0: A big thank you to Matteo Luzari for being on the show. He's such an interesting guy to interview, and I felt we could have gone on for hours without taking a single break. Not even for spaghetti and meatballs. But sadly, guys, our industry is currently taking a little bit of a break. A lot of industries are, for that matter. As the world tries to figure things out, it looks like competitions are going to be postponed indefinitely. And the start of summer seems to be getting pushed back more and more. I've been getting a lot of questions about the events that I help put on. I, of course, am talking about Feet on Fire, Feet on Fire South down here in Orlando, the most notorious barefoot water ski event in the world since 2005, bringing together some of the industry's biggest names, uh, past and present for the most fun throwback contest of the year. The other event people are talking about is Twin Lakes Corn Fest, the biggest event ever to mix water sports and free corn. Well, things are a little up in the air right now, but we are working incredibly hard to figure out the best way to proceed forward. You can stay up to date on both events at FeetOnFireBarefoot.com and at tlcornfest.com. Uh Social media, Instagram, FeetOnFire.Barefoot and at tlcornfest respectively. Follow the feeds. People will be releasing any new information there uh, as we get it. I'll also be announcing it right here on this podcast all right i want to thank you all for listening and an enormous thank you to the sponsors of this podcast for their continued support even through this pandemic thank you to SeaDeck marine products active water sports wsia roswell marine boulder boats Masterline, centurion boats o'brien lead wake slingshot Connolly, Radar, Ronix, Hyperlight, and GoPuck. Behind the scenes, a special thanks to Jane Levy in the office, Arthur Shabba Shavage on copy, and Rich Walsh on the sound. Mateo Lasari, one more time for being an awesome guest. I thank you so much. That's it. That's all for me, folks. Just a reminder, you can follow me on Facebook at the Golden Mike Podcast and on Instagram at Dano T Mano. You can message me there or at Golden Mike at noise of the North.com. I want to hear from you. I want to thank you all for tuning in and listening. As always, I am the noise of the North, Daniel Mano and you can hear me next time right here once again on the Golden Mike Podcast. <laughs>